Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever it is. Welcome back to the Detroit Buy, Hold, Invest podcast. Thank you for joining. It's going to be a great day. Let's let this beat run a little bit. I just love it. For success, wealth, health, power, money, influence, whatever you do this for. Thanks for joining. Let that run out a little bit. Uh. Yes. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining. I'm Dave Rabior, your host, Detroit Buy, Hold, Invest podcast, where we talk about real, real real estate issues, particularly in the Detroit, Metro Detroit market. And I started this podcast because as a real estate investor and an agent that does a lot of volume, I have people coming to me from all over the world asking me to help them get involved in Detroit and Metro Detroit in real estate, trying to buy real estate for the purpose of flipping or to buy and hold or to buy and fix the homes and put tenants in and refinance and try to pull their money and all that good stuff. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, hey, man, you know, you're so informative and and you always find a way to entertain and you always find a way to come to the conclusions without any fluff. And so to save myself the parrot that I've become where I have calls like every day from new people or people who I already work with and I say the same things over and over and over again, I figured I would put on my website blogs, which I've started to do, and you can get those at www.detroitbuyholdinvest.com. And then I also, for people who don't want to read or people that don't have time or people who like to go to the gym and listen to podcasts in their headphones or whatever, I decided to do a podcast to make it easier for just anyone to enjoy what we do and, and how we do things and you know, just make it easy as possible for people to enjoy and learn and, and empower and, and just learn the things that are so important for people. And there's a lot of investors I work with that have the fundamentals down, um, but they still have questions and, and those questions are valid. And I have a lot of people who are brand new who want to get into this stuff and, and they really want to get in depth about the fundamentals all the way up to the advanced stuff. And I try to, you know, limit people versus what knowledge they have. And I don't want to make things too controversial or too hard to understand or, you know, I just try to keep it simple so that people can follow along. And, and as you advance in your level of knowledge and your level of experience, then the conversations, they change, you know, depending on what you what you require or what you decide that you want to learn about or at what pace you go. I mean, really, I leave it open for investors, um, new and experienced to, to come to me. And I allow myself to be what they expect, which is someone who they can depend on, someone who they can go to for knowledge and someone who they put, quote unquote, on their power team. You know, I, I want to be somebody for you that you look to for advice on any real estate related thing. And, and just in life, you know, I, I enjoy being friends and on good terms with people. And I enjoy the relationships that I build and growing relationships for the future. And I think it's the most valuable thing in business is to, you know, let people know that you're not just doing business with them because you want to make money. I mean, yeah, I enjoy making money on real estate and I enjoy all the things that I do. And I enjoy knowing that my future is uncapped and it's all you know, dependent on my performance and what I do. But ultimately, 
yeah, I, I get to do what I love and I make money for it, right? But I also get to do what I love and I get to teach people how to change their life and be better. And that's ultimately why I'm doing this. If I wasn't interested in doing that, I would just continue to buy rentals. I'd continue to flip houses and I'd continue to look for off-market opportunities to sell for a fee. And I wouldn't care about you know people growing or developing or becoming better because then you'd be my competition. And if I was a selfish person, I wouldn't want anyone to be my competition. I'd want all of the cake for myself and I'd want to eat it too. And unfortunately in this life, there are a lot of people that do that. There's a lot of people that solely have their best interests in mind. And even so to the point where they pretend to be your friend or your loved one or your family or whatever. And they do that as a crutch to basically solidify their own personal agendas in business and in life. And people get caught up in that and it can be a very slippery and dangerous slope for, for a lot of people, you know? And so today, you know, we're going to get into a lot of podcasts where we talk about all of the issues, um, you know, how to buy things and how to sell things and how to make them perform and, and all of the tips and tricks and, and whatnots, but there's really no cheat code to any of this stuff, right? Um, the only way to really get started as an an entrepreneur for yourself. It starts with mindset. And that's what we're going to talk about today is mindset. You know, like, who are you? And I asked that on the last episode, who are you? And what kind of person do you want to be? Um, that's the most important thing to figure out before you get into anything where you're quote unquote, your own boss, or you're deciding your own future, right? If you don't have the right mindset, and you're not motivated to be your 100% best at all times, you can't really blame yourself or anyone else. If you're not performing absolutely the best level that you can, you can't expect to achieve the results of someone who's outworking you every single day. And when I got into real estate, my mindset has always been different than others. And the reason for that is I grew up in a situation where my mom, she was a, a beautician or, you know, she did hair, right? And my dad, he really couldn't hold a job. You know, he had a, a problem with uh, alcoholism and, you know, he was a guy who could fix anything and he could woo every woman that he met. And he was so, you know, romantic and funny and nice and everything. But personally, like he just couldn't be an adult and he couldn't be a father, you know, at, at any kind of level because he was always more concerned with like his own personal life and, and having fun and, and drinking beers with the buddies and, and, you know, throwing back shots was progressively got worse as the years went by. And he ultimately passed away from liver failure, from alcoholism. But during the time that he was alive, I mean, he truly like lived his best life until he got to the point where he couldn't anymore. And then the depression kind of see, you know, it seeped in from there and, and it, it slowly, you know, mentally drained him to the point where he was just drinking so much he couldn't even perform in life. But, you know, my parents were divorced when I was young and uh, my mom and dad split and my mom married a, a new guy who's my stepdad who uh, growing up, man, like I always thought he, he was such like a drill sergeant. He was such a jerk, you know, and he, he just wanted us to just never have time to sit around. He, he always had jobs for us to do. He always demanded that we you know, made our bed and cleaned our room and cleaned up every single mess. And he made us work in the yard and he made us work on all these projects. And, 
you know, cut the grass and like while all of our friends were playing in the summertime and having a good old time in their pools and doing this and that and running around, we had responsibilities that we were expected to handle. And when I was a kid, I hated that. I thought that he was just the worst guy and why would you make us be slaves for you and this and that. But as I got older, I I realized that the only way that you're going to be successful just in life is by starting with the fundamentals of taking ownership of yourself, um, requiring yourself to live to a certain standard, um, handling things like it, it starts as simple as just making your bed in the morning. You know, you get up out of bed and, you know, you walk away from an unmade bed to an unmade life, you know, and, and you're disheveled from the very beginning if you can't even handle the basics in your life. And mindset is like 100 percent the most important thing that you could ever do if you want to be successful in general. That doesn't matter if you're going to work for someone else or you're a clock puncher or you're a salaried employer, or you're a salesperson or you're an entrepreneur where you're out there slaying it for yourself and, and trying to make the best uh, life for yourself that you can on your own terms. But without the mindset, without being 100% de- dedicated to yourself and devoted to yourself and looking at yourself and saying, hey, every day I'm going to go out and conquer the world. You know, I, I need to get up, get out and get something. And I'm not going to do it by sitting down, making excuses or cutting corners or, or you know, just crying about all these things you can't control. So where we're going to go with this uh, podcast is you know, mindset. So the mindset of someone who is going to get up every day, look at their life and decide that they're in control of it is the mindset of a winner, right? And you have to look at yourself deeply, you know, as a human being and say, like, what kind of person am I? And what am I missing in myself that is keeping me from the success that I ultimately feel like I deserve? And a lot of people, a lot of people, um, they're really close to being able to go out and like just handle their own affairs without any interference or training or, or anything. But all of us still need to, um, you know, look at other people in our life that are, are successful and kind of mold ourselves and compare ourselves to people who are more successful so that we can kind of get other things that they do that might be uh, good to implement into our lives to make us be better. And when you're talking about mindset, you know, you have to be able to wake up every day and you have to know, like in your mind that you are going to conquer and you're going to do what you want to do and nobody is going to stop you. And, you know, for some people, it's kind of hard because they don't have enough stuff going on in their life that will motivate them to motivate their self. And some people do need that. You know, they need someone to like hold them accountable or someone to create a a game plan for them. And it's like going to the gym and, and getting with a personal trainer where like, could you go to the gym and get on the treadmill? Yeah. Could you lift weights for yourself? Of course you could. Could you, you know, put together some sort of a workout routine based on, you know, what you found online or videos that you watch on TikTok or whatever? Yeah. But some people, even though they have all of those things at their disposable or at their disposal, I'm sorry. Um, though they have all of those things and they can go online and get access to any information that they want. They can go to their friends who, you know, maybe they got a buddy who's jacked, you know, he's in the gym every single day and and the guy could give them some good tips. Like they have access to all that stuff, but they just don't, they just don't do that. And, And they sit there and they think, well, 
you know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to be better. I'm going to work out. I'm going to this, I'm going to that, but they just never do it. And they have access to all this information. So eventually when they finally get good and fed up and they decide like, Hey, now I'm changing my life, which, you know, let's say 25% of people actually get so aggravated. They stand up one day and say, I'm going to change my life. I I'm done with the, the same old same, and it's not working for me. So now it's time for me to change and I'm going to do something different and I'm going to make myself uncomfortable because if I don't make myself uncomfortable, I'm just going to continue to be upset with myself or, or feel sad inside or, or have, you know, certain things about themselves that make themselves conscious or whatever. But eventually they go to someone who they like or someone who they look up to and they ask for the help. And that person, you know, at that point can give you all the information, you know, they can make you a meal plan. They could say, Hey, meet me every week on Monday and Thursdays, and we're going to do upper and lower body. And, and I'm going to give you a whole routine and I'm going to tell you all this stuff and whatever. And they'll, and they'll get to the point where they get someone to invest that kind of time in them and somebody who's willing to put aside their own personal time to kind of help you. And they'll go to them for that, but then they'll never do anything about it, you know? And that's the the biggest thing about people that I see all the time is you get all these great ideas and you read all this stuff, you watch videos and inside, you know, you're motivating yourself and saying like, I could do this, I can do this, I want to do this. And then you just never do, you know? Why do people do that? I don't know. Um, but having that person that you know to go to you know, you can go to them like the boy who cried wolf only so many times before they're like, hey, man, I put together personal time to try to help you. And like you just blew it off like three, four times. Now I'm not even going to help you anymore. And eventually that person's not going to answer your calls anymore. They're not going to really respond or be responsive to your needs anymore. And you have to really look at life in that way. Nobody is going to do this for you. And you might have people in your life that are willing to help you when you go to them. But if you're not ready to put that plan into action, you know, you can't expect anybody to be there for you every time that you just come up with this cockamamie idea about what you're going to do, but you never, you never execute on that. It's not fair for you to believe that someone should even give you that kind of time if you're not willing to give that time to yourself. Right. So that's the problem with a lot of people is like mindset. Like, can you get up every day and say, I'm going to be in control of my day. And can you put structure in your day? And I'm going to make you an example. So growing up, you know, there is no silver spoon. I say this all the time, but like nobody was in my life telling me I was going to be nobody, right? I just decided when I was young that I was going to just do whatever I wanted to. And, and until I was probably 21 years old, I didn't make very good decisions about what I was going to do and who I was going to be and who I was going to run with and what kind of bad habits I was going to pick up. I, I did really dumb stuff because I was a kid and I didn't know any better. And, you know, my mom worked full time and she wasn't home as much as, you know, some people's parents were. And my stepdad, you know, he was working full time because they had kids to take care of and they had responsibilities to take care of. And like the only way to do that is to get up off your butt and go to work and make some money. And that's what they had. My stepdad drove a truck. And my mom cut hair for a living. And though those may not be the most uh, executive position or the most flashy and fancy things, like they made a good living doing that enough to where they could afford a house and take care of kids, you know, and like we didn't go without, um, but we definitely didn't have all of the nicest stuff. But in, in relation to like my life now, now I'm 
you know, doing really well financially and I do really well just in general. And like, I still live a very modest life. I, I, I have no debt. I own everything that I have and anything that I do have like healthy debt on is something that I have to have like my personal home. Like, can I pay it off? Yeah. I mean, do I only owe a small balance on it, but when you get to be an entrepreneur, you got to have things to write off in real estate. You know, as we get into these podcasts, we'll start talking more about why you have to have credit and you have to have debt or else you're going to have a big problem trying to excel or, or advance in life. You just have to have it. But, you know, growing up, growing up in, in life for me, you know, I, I got into the wrong crowd. You know, I, I wanted to have like new tennis shoes and I wanted to have a gold chain and I wanted to, you know, live this, you know, rapper lifestyle thing that, you know, kids my age wanted to do back in the nineties because I'm 44 years old. I graduated from high school in 1998. Um, so in Detroit in the late eighties and all the way until, you know, 1999, you know, the city was a lot different than it is now and, and the suburbs too, you know, and it was pretty tough. There was a lot of problems here. There was a lot of drugs and gangs and, and violent stuff going on. And, and it was a lot different than it is now. And young people used to get away with a lot more stuff back then. So naturally, I'm looking at older people that, you know, I grew up around that were doing things that weren't necessarily the right things. And, you know, it was easy and quick money. So I decided like, hey, I want to have nice stuff. So that's what I decided to do. And, you know, during that time, you know, when you're the guy, you think everybody's your friend and you think everybody's down for you and all that. But then when things go wrong and you end up in a jail cell because you made stupid decisions, you find out quickly, like, none of those people give two squirts about you at all. They don't care. They don't care where you go, and they don't care what you're doing. Only when you have something for them, and they can get gratification in some way, or they can make money off you, or they can uh, benefit from you in some way, yeah, they're your buddy. But once you're down and out, they're not. You know. So I had to learn very quickly from a mindset standpoint I didn't have anybody in my life that was going to save the day, right? Like my parents were fed up and discouraged with me because I made stupid decisions and I continued to just run around in the streets and act like a dummy. And my dad really just had no capability of, of even contributing on that level as a parent. So when I got to be 18 years old, you know, obviously my, my family was basically like, you got to get out of here. You can't, once I was done with high school, they're like, you got to go. So I had to go off on my own and I had to figure it out. And when you go off on your own and you realize that you don't have anybody to go to, like when you have problems, you don't have anyone to ask for money when you need it, you start figuring it out really quick. And that's what I think is the most healthy lesson that you can teach to any young person today. Stop enabling them and giving them things every time they fall down. Make them feel it, make them eat it, make them taste that and make them absorb it and and then Watch them figure it out. All these people who, you know, things go wrong and they just can't seem to like figure it out. That's because someone always comes in and throws them a rope. Like while right before they're about to go underwater, someone throws them a rope almost every time. It's like that show Intervention. You know, a lot of those dope fiends on there wouldn't be as bad of a dope fiend if they didn't have so many people enabling them. And then when they put them in a room and tell them, hey, if you don't go to rehab, I'm not going to give you anything or pay your cell phone bill or drive you anywhere. A lot of them, they have no choice at that point but to succumb to the fact that they already know that they're stupid. They already know that they've done horrible things to their family and that they lie and they're a drug addict or they're an alcoholic or whatever. And once they know that their family is out, 
like they have no choice but to either decide to go off on their own and fend for themselves. And most of them at that point, they're so screwed up, they don't even have a chance. Or they have to go to rehab and get cleaned up because their family is done with them. And I think that's like the most valuable thing that you can do to certain people in that you know, in that circumstance. And this is coming from a guy who has a brother who passed away from a drug overdose, who I dealt with this stuff with him for years. And I have a sister who, who, you know, has her problems as well. And we haven't spoken for probably over 10 years now because, you know, I eliminate people from my life that are, you know, they have so many problems and they just refuse to change them and they don't want to be different, but they want everyone to just like deal with them in the way they are, which is a complete train wreck. So I won't do that. But, you know, the mindset for me as I got older, and I'm sharing this with you guys because I want you to understand, you know, I, I know what it's like and I can, I, I'm qualified to say this stuff based on my own personal, um, my own personal life that I, I had to go through. So off, I was off on my own at 18. I had to figure out where I was going to go. My mom just kicked me right out into the street and said, you're not my problem. You do what you got to do. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me, to be honest with you. So I went to go live with a friend of mine who got an apartment and we, we moved in together. Well, now I had free reign to just be a complete moron and have no supervision. And so that's what I did until the point where I got myself into a whole bunch of trouble and ended up having to go into the jail and have to, you know, be faced with a really high bond and no money and no help. And I sat in the jail. I think I, I got put in there around Thanksgiving and I didn't get out of jail until the summertime, I think almost of the next following year. And they had kept me in there for so long. They finally gave me a bond reduction hearing and they let me out. And fortunately, my grandma, you know, rest in peace. She felt bad and came in and bailed me out for the $5,000 or whatever it was. And at that point, I remember that day was the day that changed my entire life for the better. Um, she, I remember calling my dad and saying, you know, they're going to give me a reduced bond and I've been in here for months and I just need to get out of here. They're telling me I'm going to go to jail for a long time. And this was over stupid stuff, you know, marijuana stuff when I was a kid in, in Michigan. Now it's all legal. And what I got in trouble for then I wouldn't even have, it wouldn't even been a thing, you know, but nowadays it's different back then, you know, over a one joint, you could go to jail, you could go on probation and all this stuff. And I don't even use, you know, marijuana anymore, but in my younger days I did, you know, and, and, and I sold it to people and that was how I made money because I was a dumb kid and it was fast cash and Hey, you know, I'm not going to deny it or lie about it. That's what I did. So I finally got set up by a friend, uh, who, who got in trouble for something. He set me up. They did a, a you know bust on me. They raided my apartment that I lived in, and fortunately there was nothing in there. But with what they had on me, I, I got busted, and I went you know to jail, and I went that route. So finally, the day that changed my life was I called my dad, who basically rarely did anything for me in my life, but this time he convinced my grandmother to, to get me the money I needed, and he came down and he bailed me out. Well, he bailed me out, and then he immediately jumped in his car and left. So in the Macomb County Jail where, where I live in Michigan, um, they don't just let you right out. So they decided to let me out like four o'clock and four thirty in the morning, the following day. And that stay in jail. Like when I went in there, I had like winter clothes on when I came out, it was like summertime. Right. So I have like a coat and pants and a sweatshirt, you know, hoodie or whatever. And they let me out of the jail, like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. And I walk out and anyone who knows about Macomb County jail, like there's nowhere to really walk to, you know, there, you got to walk pretty far to get anywhere of, of anywhere to eat anything or whatever. It's, it, it's kind of away from things. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, it's 
2000, the year 2000, you know, like I had no cell phone. Like people still had pagers then, you know, beepers. And, you know, I'm standing there in front of the jail, five o'clock in the morning. It's dark outside. And I got 50 bucks in my pocket to my name and I got nowhere to go. I had literally nowhere to go. I didn't even know who I would call to even figure out where I was going to go to sleep one day. I had no idea. So I have no choice but to start walking down Grossbeck, you know, highway in in, um, Mount Clemens, Clinton Township area. And I'm walking south toward where I resided, you know, at the time thinking, what am I going to do? I have nowhere to live. I have nowhere to go. I don't know how, like, how am I even going to eat? I only have 50 bucks. You know, I can't get involved in the illegal stuff because then if I get caught again, I'm for sure going to go to prison over some marijuana, which to me at the time was ridiculous. And nowadays it wouldn't even be a thing, but you know, at the time it was a big deal and they took it real serious and they, they were calling me all kinds of stuff. Like I'm some big time kingpin or something. I'm just a guy selling little dime bags of weed and, you know, to people and, and half ounces or whatever. I was like, no kingpin. I'm like at best a corner boy at the time. Right. So you know, I'm walking and I, I, fortunately I get to this payphone, which, you know, I know those don't exist anymore, but I get to this payphone and I call this girl I know and said, Hey, you know, I just got out of jail and I have nowhere to go. Well, I knew she was on section eight and I knew that where she lived, you know, she wasn't paying the rent. And I told her like, if you let me come stay with you, I'll help you pay all of your utilities and you won't have to do that. As long as section eight pays the rent, I'll take care of everything. And she said, come over and you can stay a couple of days and we'll figure it out. And it turned out where I stayed with her for a little bit until I started figuring out what I was going to do, which led me to the mindset that I have today. That was when I realized like, I got nobody, I got nobody to change my life. I got nobody to help me. I had nobody to give me any money. And I had to figure that out. And I had to figure it out before that $50 was gone, you know, and I was able to do that. I was able to, you know, call some people, get some employment, start working. And at that point, I realized like the only thing I got left is to just put as many hours as I can. I got to get my own place. I got to get my own car. I got to get everything going because they took everything from me when I got in trouble. They took everything. I took my car. They took all my money except 50 bucks. They took everything. And here I am, you know, at the time I was 20 years old, I think. And, you know, all my friends I looked up to were like street guys. All of them. There was like no one I knew who wasn't a street guy. And and when I was, you know, in the business of being a, a dummy, you know, everybody wanted to be my friend. Everybody wanted to come around, smoke, buy stuff from me, whatever, hang out, go to the bars. And I had a fake ID so I could go into anything I wanted to. And it was like living this life, which as a kid, you're like, man, what, man, that was such a great life. You know, so many good times, but it really wasn't. It was being a moron at a level that you can't even, like when you get older, you look back like, man, I was so dumb, such a dumb idiot kid to get involved in this stuff. But it created this mindset where I realized like I am the only person who's going to change my life that I, nobody else is going to do it. And I had to really quickly figure out like what I was going to do. And we're talking about from a kid who I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I I didn't know who I was or who I wanted to be. I was fitting in with a crowd of, of people who like had no ambition, but to just live for each day and and, you know, drugs and, and violent stuff and gang stuff and guns and all this dumb stuff, you know, that we involved ourselves in because we wanted to be, you know, gangsters and street guys and all this stuff. And now here we are, 
you know, decades later and I look back and, you know, it made me who I am because I realized I was stupid and I had to change my life. But, you know, I wish I would have never wasted that time doing that. I wish I would have just been normal and stayed in, you know, graduated from school like I did and then went to college and figured something out because, you know, it, it cost me a period of time from the age of like 20 till I was probably 25 where, you know, I, I was working as much as I could and make as much money as I could. But, it, you know, ultimately that struggle is real and you're never really going to get ahead doing that. And I had to figure it out. And that was when, you know, 2009 came, market crashed. You know, I got involved in buying uh, cheap rental properties and like it, my life kind of, you know, spiraled upward from there. But, you know, in the time from when I was 20 years old until I was you know, probably 28 or something like that, you know, it was it was like really really tough but I met my wife when I was 23 or 24 years old something like that and we've been together now for over 20 years and when we met she had two kids and they were seven and four and now they're uh, 28 and 25 and I have a grandson by my oldest uh, daughter which is probably one of the happiest moments of my entire life and you know those two girls and my wife saved my life because I had to figure out like how to be a man and I refused to be like my dad, you know, I wanted to be there. And if I was going to be in those kids life, I wanted to make sure that I was a role model for them, that I influenced them in the right way. And I wanted to make sure that my wife, if we decided to have kids of our own, which we never ultimately did, but you know, it, it is what it is. My kids are my kids and I love them just like they're my own, you know, DNA. It doesn't matter to me. And I have all these God kids, but anyway, you know, I got involved with her and, you know, I was in the music business at that time and doing, um, you know, music production and, and music of my own. And, and we were doing pretty good with that. And, you know, that's a story for another day. But, um, you know, I decided like, hey, you know, at some point I got to I got to figure out how to be someone who can take care of his family. So if my wife can't work and she wants to have a baby, I can take care of her. And that's when I, you know, started thinking, you know, being a clock punching idiot for some company that doesn't care about me is never going to get me what I need to do. And I got into the auto parts business and I got my first sales job and then I used that sales job to get hired for for a better company, for a better job. And then after two or three years, I, you know, got hired for another company that was throwing all the money at me because they knew I was really good. And then I leveraged that and then on and on and on. So I realized quick, you know, like no one's there for me. No one cares. Companies don't care. I'm going to work really hard. And if they're not going to give me what I want, then I'm going to go to another company and I'm going to get them to give me what I need to, because ultimately the shelf life of a salesperson for somebody else is only like two, three, four years, maybe. And you go from hero to zero so quickly when you do that job. So I leveraged myself up the ladder knowing that eventually I was going to get to be an entrepreneur. And that's what I did. But the reason for that was, is I knew, and I put myself in this position on purpose. Like I needed to know that like everyone was dependent on me. So I could not fail. And I already know and I already knew at the time, like there's no one for me to go to for help. So I got to figure it out. And I put myself in that position because I perform under pressure and I love it. I, I just thrive on it. Whereas other people, when it gets a lot of pressure, they they shut down and they curl up in a little ball and, you know, the world closes in on them and stuff. And it's like, it doesn't mean that you can't be in the mindset of a successful person when you get in that, that role. It means that you have to be able to identify that you have a flaw and be willing to change it. And mindset, you know, for me was because I had no other choice, whereas some people, they have a choice and they just choose to be dominant. They choose to be a wolf and they choose to take what they want. 
and they they won't accept any less. And you have other people that have the ability to be dominant or be an entrepreneur and be in control of their life, but they just are so afraid. They have like analysis paralysis where they just look at all this stuff and then they just think about it and think about it and think about it and they just never do anything. And that's the most dangerous type of person to themselves because you have the potential to do more and you are making it to where you can't. No one's stopping you but you. And you have to break that. And and if you're somebody who, you know, never really got things going and you, you want to make excuses about it, I don't want to hear it. Let's be honest. Like I've seen guys come here from other countries. When I was in the auto parts business in Detroit, a lot of the auto shops and liquor stores are owned by Chaldeans or Arabs. I saw guys get off the boat with nothing but a handbag with like a day or two worth of stuff in there. And literally within two years, they're driving an Escalade and got their own auto shop. Guys who couldn't even speak English and women, you know, who couldn't even speak English. They came to the United States with a dream and a bag with whatever they had. And within three to five years, they're doing better than you. There's no excuse. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. We have people coming here as immigrants without even legal citizenship. And they're doing better than some of you guys, right? And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you need to identify that and you have to make a choice. Do you want to be average, subpar, or below? Or do you want to be in control of your life? You have to make that decision. And nobody's going to do it for you. And making excuses for it is not going to help you with anything. It's not, right? So stop making excuses. Suck it up and decide, who am I? Am I going to be the clock puncher or am I going to be the boss? Am I going to be the CEO or am I going to be the janitor? That's up to you. And I don't want to hear about people talking about, you know, uh, racial uh, stuff and whatever. It doesn't matter. I know really successful guys I grew up with of all different ethnicities that came from worse backgrounds than me that are as successful or more successful than me that literally went through the same environment than me and they aren't white. Because I'm a white guy, right? So does it really matter? If you want to be successful, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. You go out and you work hard and you outwork your competition. You show up earlier. You stay later. You give more focus. You try harder. You care more. And you influence people around you by your hard work and your work ethic and stuff like that. And if you really want to be successful, nobody can stop you. Literally, no one can. This is America. Think about this. You have people in this country who literally come from third world countries and they they come here and drive Uber for 12 to 20 hours a day for, you know, a year or two or three years, and long enough it takes them to be able to get their own stuff and then they start their own car service or they, you know, open their own business or whatever and they're, and they're performing in life. And they came here as an immigrant who could barely speak the language and stuff. And we have people that sit here that come from this country that literally had all of the, you know, the meat and potatoes and all of the favors and all of the good stuff. And they sit there and make excuses for why they can't do stuff. I have an uncle. He did 13 years in prison for, um, you know, he had a, a bunch of problems, but he did some stuff, uh, dumb stuff. And he went to prison for 13 years. And I kept in contact with him for the whole time, right? Because nobody talked to him. Hardly anyone did. Everyone forgot about him. You know, but this is my uncle and we're not that far apart in age. And I love, I love him. 
you know. So I, I kept in contact with him, and I, I gave him money on his commissary and whatever, and he got out of prison. Now, you're talking about a guy who had an extremely bad like drinking problem and violence and, and all that stuff. He went to prison. In prison, he decided that he wasn't going to be like that anymore, and he, he's been clean and sober for like 20 years now. He gets out of prison, and within two years, mind you, he comes out of prison with absolutely nothing. Right. He goes to live with my aunt uh, because that's the only place that he could go that the parole board would allow him to go to. And within two years, he literally got his credit score up to like 750. He worked real hard. He bought himself a vehicle. He got good credit going. He got uh, he started buying all of his tools because he was a contractor before he went away. Right. And he and he's one of the best ones I've ever had. He um he got all of his stuff together. He got his tools together. And after a couple of years, when he was getting off parole, as soon as they cut him loose, he started his own business as a contractor. And then he got everything going. He was making great money, all that stuff. And you know what happens? He has a stroke out of the blue. He's like 50 years old. He has a stroke. And the stroke creates this aneurysm in his brain that affects his ability to speak. Right? So now he can't even talk anymore. And this man, it's been uh, two years now. And he's completely normal again. They told him, you may not ever talk again, but you know what? He said, nope, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to get up every day, get on my feet. I'm going to work. I'm going to talk. I'm going to go to speech therapy. I'm going to do all of these things I got to do. And because he refused to sit there and just accept his fate, now he's almost, I say he's 90%, like aside from a stutter here and there, he's, he's pretty much back to normal where I had a influential person in my life who had a stroke, lost his whole left side, and he was only 58 years old. And they told him if he worked really hard, he could get his left side back and he didn't do anything. And he died three years later in a nursing home because he just decided he didn't want to try because he had depression from all kinds of different things or whatever. But the the moral of the story is like people who have no chance have a better chance than someone who doesn't try. Think about that for a second, because excuses are going to get you nowhere. And you have to be able to look in the mirror and determine at some point, one day, like, I'm going to be dominant at something. Or you're going to figure out what it is and you're going to say, I'm going to be dominant at real estate. I'm going to be dominant as a CEO. I'm going to be dominant in sales. I'm going to be dominant as a professional athlete. I'm going to be dominant as a personal trainer, whatever it is. Because I'll tell you right now, I have investors and I have one. She's a girl from California. She's only 24 years old. She's younger than my youngest daughter. And she's already bought six properties in one, not even a year, six, right? Think about that. 24. Where do you think she's going to be when she's 40, 50, 60? You think she's going to be sitting around making excuses for why her life's not good? I don't think so. But you got people who are the age of 65 that, you know, go to retirement and they have nothing. Whose fault is that really? It's yours. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It means that if you're not comfortable and you don't want to live that way, you need to figure out something that's going to work for you and you need to go after it. Somebody's going to have to do it. And if you're not going to do it, life is just going to pass you by. And you don't get a right to be upset about your life not being what it needs to be when you're the one that controls what your life is going to be. You don't get that. So to be successful in real estate, and I know this is, you know, it may or may not be on topic, but I think that before I get into talking and before I waste time, you know, trying to get you all fired up about, you know, being an investor, it starts with yourself. It starts with, you know, being accountable to yourself and and deciding like that you're the man, you know, I wake up every day and I think that to myself, 
not not in a cocky way, but I look at myself like you're the man. You're the one who is in control of your good and your bad days. You're the one that's in control of how much money you make or how much you don't. You're the one in control of where you go, when you go, how you go, and how long you stay there. To me, I'm the man. I'm everywhere. I'm every place I want to be in life. And that's all because I decided that I wasn't going to sit around and make excuses for stuff. And that's what I want people to understand. You can't make excuses. Just get up off your ass and go do something. That's it. There's no other way to, to say it. Okay. And if you're willing to, you know, educate yourself and you're willing to do the work and you're willing to roll up your sleeves and get to it and you're willing to ask the questions and you're willing to do the math and you're willing to read the information and you're willing to have business related conversations that are productive. I want to, to be your friend. I want to be your real estate person. I want to be an investor partner with you. I want to be whatever it is that you want to be because there's so little people in this world that really you can you can look at them and say like that person is someone who I want to do business with. That's someone who I want my fr- I want to be friends with him. I want or her or them. That because that's the only people I surround myself with. I don't surround myself with people who aren't trying to do what's best for themselves at all times. I don't do it. And the other thing I want to say before I close this up is you have to determine if you really want to get ahead in life. You have to look around you, and you have to. Look at the people who are parasites of your time and parasites of your heart and parasites of your soul and your well-being. You have to look at that and you have to identify it. And even if they're your family, it doesn't mean you can't love them. It doesn't mean that you don't have to see them anymore. But what it does mean is you need to figure out a way to eliminate them and push them away from your life as far as you can. Because those people will be the ones that bring you down every single time. Every time that you try to get ahead, they're going to have a negative thing to say about it. Or every time that you get ahead, they're going to be trying to get money from you. Or they're going to be trying to create all these problems, be volatile in your life. And they're just going to be you know, just sucking all of the good nature out of you. And you don't have enough to go around. And that's okay. Okay? Think about this before I close out this show. You only have 24 hours in a day. Let's look at that for what it is. 24 hours in a day. How many hours do you sleep? Let's say you sleep eight hours, which I wish I could. I'm like probably at six. Okay. So now there's eight hours gone. And then you have commuting to and from wherever you go to your job, right? Let's call that uh, 45 minutes. So that's another hour and a half. And then you got, you know, eating meals and, and, you know, prepping for your day and all that stuff that leaves you with like maybe I don't know. Let's add your work day on top of that, right? Let's say you work eight hours and you work or you work eight hours and you sleep eight hours. That's 16 hours. And then let's call it another two hours a day for eating and commuting. Okay. That's 18 hours. So that leaves six hours left in a day, six hours to spend time with your family, uh, entertain yourself, watch a little TV, get caught up on reading, focus on your life, whatever it is that you do, meditate, work out, whatever, six hours a day. You got to be really um, closed off with that six hours of your life. And that's how I think about things. Like I probably have four hours a day that I can spend doing what I want to do. And that usually is 
spending time with my family, my godkids, my grandkid, watching TV with my wife or whatever, catching up on a few, um, you know, Hulu shows or Netflix things or, you know, we like to binge watch uh, shows. And I, I enjoy spending time with my wife. And then, and then at four hours, like maybe she likes to go to bed before me. So it works out great. So she goes to bed and I have maybe like another hour and a half, two hours. And that's where I, you know, hop onto YouTube or I read a little bit or I go and check out data or whatever. I'm a nerd about the numbers. So that's when I have my little time to just unwind, meditate and take in what I want to take in. And that's it. So if I'm going to give you time, with that being said, when I only have four hours, maybe you have six hours a day, you better be worth that time. And that doesn't mean you need to give me something or like I need to be benefiting from you. Like it needs to be a genuine relationship where you just genuinely care about how I'm how I'm doing and how my life is. Or it needs to be something productive in some way. Or it needs to be with friends who and the type of friends that call you for nothing, right? The ones that call you up and say, Hey, how are you doing? No, I don't want to talk about problems. I don't want to talk about, you know, you helping me or borrowing money. I'm just like, what's up, man? How you doing? You want to have a beer or something? Hey, have you went fishing lately? Which everyone knows I'm like a fishaholic and I fish and I have a show and all that aside from the podcast. But in uh, Cheap Pop, that's called uh, Great Lakes Extreme Outdoors. Um, that's coming up this year. And, uh, you know, everyone knows that I like to, to hunt and fish and, and be outside and, and do all that stuff. So the four hours a day that I get, or maybe five sometimes, because I kind of give myself a little time, like that's my time. That's the time that I enjoy the most for myself. I put myself through this boot camp every single day where I have to perform and I have to be the best I can be and I have to be influential and I have to be the, the pillar of my family and I have to be that tree in the front yard that everybody lays all of their stuff on saying, hey, that tree's big and strong and it'll never fall over. I got to be that. So if I'm going to be that, I need to have a few hours for myself and you deserve it too. So you don't spend that time with people who are negative, that are parasites of your time, your soul, your well-being. You have to figure out a way to eliminate them. Doesn't mean you can't love them, but you need to love them from a distance and keep them out of your way because ultimately you'll never be productive if you continue to allow people to suck you dry for your emotions, money, time, and efforts. You can't do it. Okay, so I'm going to leave this where it is, mindset. Mindset is waking up every day, determining who you are, what you want to be, what you're going to do, and actually getting up off your butt, making your feet move, and doing something every day and becoming rejection proof and putting those activities to work every single day. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to invest yourself 100% in yourself, like you do other things in your life, how can you really fail? How could you fail? If you go to work every single day for some company and you achieve results for them to the point where they continue to employ you year after year after year, and every year you get a raise or every couple of years you get a raise and you get the accommodations and the accolades and everybody thinks that you're pretty good at your job. Like if you can do that for somebody else, why are you not doing that for yourself? You already have the mindset. You're just not putting it to work. So hopefully, you know, that sparks a little bit of uh, brain power with a lot of you, little activity stirs you up in the soul a little bit because I'm not perfect, not by any means, and I'll never claim to be. 
I'm not the best at everything. I don't run the fastest. I don't jump the highest. I've never been the prettiest. I don't have the nicest cars. I don't wear the fancy jewelry. I don't have Gucci shoes. I don't care about any of those things. All I care about is like doing what I got to do, take care of my family and be the best man I can be so that if I die one day or when I do die, people, if I had, let me rephrase this. At the point where I decide I'm going to pass away or somebody decides that that will be my day. I will call my life a success if people say, you know, I, I genuinely don't know what I'll do without that person in my life. Not because I gave them money, not because I supported them all the time, because I was genuinely someone who they looked up to or went to for advice or considered to be genuinely a friend, sincerely a friend that cared about them and that was always there for them when they needed it, whether it would be my kids, my godkids, my friends, my wife, Anybody around me, if when I die, people say, I don't know how I'll go on without that person in my life because he was such an influential person in my happiness, I will declare my life a complete win from there. It means nothing. The money means nothing. Uh, success you know, means nothing. Once you're dead, you're dead. And I've seen it happen, and I'll end it with this. I've seen people who had nothing and people that were influential pass away, and I've went to their funerals. And for a few days after they die, people's, you know, they're sad and, and they're posting on socials and they're, you know, cry emojiing and they're pouring their hearts out about that person. And God bless them because they influence people and they're that upset, you know, and emotional because they love them that much. And, and I respect it. But all this stuff happens when somebody passes away and all these people, they cry and they talk and they share, you know, stories and whatever. And then their funeral comes. And people come and they cry and there's a beautiful service and there's flowers and sometimes there's an urn and sometimes there's a casket or sometimes there's nothing at all and it's just a memorial service. And then it's done. Right then, it's done. And everybody goes home. And maybe for a day or two, they're sad. Or maybe for a long time, they celebrate your life. And some people will, and that's great. But you're gone. And all the stuff that you did in your life, money and the houses and the cars and the, and the, and the jewelry and all that stuff gets divvied up amongst whoever it is that you decide is going to get it. Hopefully you have a trust. I highly recommend because if not, the, the buzzards begin, you know, they start swarming in. But once it's all done, it's done. People go home and your life is over just like that. And it doesn't matter what you what you had at the time or what you're giving up. All that matters is like, can the people in your life who you love and take care of and that wholeheartedly, like you really want the best for them, can they continue on without you in their life, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially? Can they? Did you put them in a position to do that? Because if you didn't, I feel like you're doing a disservice to those people. You love them, right? And anything that you do in this world, like, yeah, your money's to enjoy and the, and the items that you have are to enjoy and there's no denying that, Right. But at the end of the day, when you're gone, you're gone. You can't take it with you. So you might as well leave as much as you can for people that been holding it down for you and make sure that they're all right. Because without that, you got nothing. Because the money don't mean nothing. The memories are the most important thing. But if you can leave a little bit behind for them too so that they can go on without any kind of financial crisis for a period of time after you leave this world, which I know I'm going to do for my family, if you can do that, you should. But if you don't, focus your time on creating relationships with people that actually love and care about you that don't destroy you from the inside or, or 
be a parasite of your happiness time you know, or, or anything like that. So keep that in mind. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, episode two of the Detroit Buy, Hold, Invest podcast. My name's Dave Rabior, Detroit's finest investment agent. Hit me up, www.detroitbuyholdinvest.com. Look me up on Facebook. Look me up on Instagram, Detroit Buy, Hold, Invest. You can find me everywhere. Appreciate you listening. Have a good day. Have a good week. And we'll be back soon with a new podcast number three.